Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Location Matters. For those who have listened to the podcast before, you might not recognise my voice. So I am Jamie Nobbs, the Marketing Coordinator at NGIS, and we're changing it up a little bit today. Firstly, we've got a bonus episode. So this is one we have pushed forwards with an exciting announcement of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia On Demand. For those of you who haven't heard of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop before, Last year, it was an in-person event held in Perth, uh, which provided geospatial training for Indigenous people from all over Australia that are looking to get stuck into uh, geospatial tools and technologies. We've had a roller coaster of the last few months, which has led to Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia On Demand launch date, which is the 22nd of September. So we're very excited to see this all come to fruition and to tell us a bit more about the Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia and the on-demand learning platform, we're joined by some great speakers, one of which is the usual podcast host, Sarah Butler, the Marketing Manager at NGIS and is also part of the committee for the Indigenous Mapping Workshop, Andrew Dowding, the Managing Director of Winyama and is also part of the committee for the IMW and Marinda Bansfather-Scott, who is working on the curriculum at the IMW and is also a GIS analyst at Winyama. Thank you guys so much for coming. I would like to start off by just seeing how you guys are going. I know it's been a, a pretty crazy couple of months with the pandemic globally, and I just wanted to see how you were going, how your team was coping, and, and how you've been holding up. Yeah, it has been trying times for the last few months. I mean... It's been, um, yeah, a worldwide pandemic and like Winyama has had to adapt to a new environment. And really that's been, you know, we've all had to work from home and, uh, and you know, collaborate a lot more digitally. And I guess the IMW teams had to do the same. I think that the Winyama team have done a really good job of adapting. I think particularly because we were just on the cusp of planning for an event, which was going to be in Melbourne. And we were really amped up for that. And... Uh, I think like a lot of businesses all around the world, Indigenous or non-Indigenous businesses, like you have plans, like you've got things that you're trying to achieve and and all of a sudden everything can change so quickly. We weren't the only ones. I mean, there were a bunch of people trying to pivot events from being in person to online. But I mean, we were faced with a really unique challenge because, you know, the Indigenous Mapping Workshop, it's not just an event, it's training, you know, there's a certain level of care that's required and, and that face-to-face kind of way of working and, and making sure people feel supported. I'm not sure that as an event you can replicate that in like a two or three day long online event. Um, so we really had to try and shift our focus. But in terms of like getting into that headspace, I think that as a team, well, we did a really great job of that. Yeah, I think we were just forced to. Mm. I mean, we had no choice, like, the Indigenous Mapping Workshop is an event that's held in a major city in you know around Australia, and um, to get Aboriginal people to travel to those places from from their communities is was impossible to ask them to do that. Yeah, and so like we were just forced to take drastic measures, and I think we debated about the style of the workshop. You know, would it be some sort of live event where we do live training through Zoom or and sharing screens? And I think. 
the teams kind of came to this point where we were like, well, I think self-directed learning is probably the way to go. And that was really so that people could self-pace, they could access materials when they wanted to, they could jump in and out of the materials that we put up online when, whenever they wanted to. So it was, wasn't like a strict three-day event like we have for the face-to-face workshop. So yeah, I think in the end, at the end of the day, we were just forced to take some sort of action, and and I think I'm glad that we did because we were thinking about it already. Yeah, but that was going to be like two years away. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, it just made us hurry up and um, yeah. and realize that this was something that we needed now. And I think the benefit of, of that was that we really started to concentrate more on our training materials, like the depth of our training materials, and really start to look at what we teach and think about it as a curriculum and start to fill in some of the gaps that maybe we just breezed over during workshops that people just got because there was a lot of help around. There was a lot of trainers and a lot of staff that were there to attend people at at workshops. Whereas when we start looking at what we were actually teaching, we're like, well, actually, there's a few gaps where we could fill. And Marinda was good at, at identifying that stuff and really pushing our training materials to to be more professional and a little bit deeper in in the sense of mapping. Yeah, you have that benefit of um, starting the learning process midway through because you can guide people and you can teach things as you go along um, as opposed to an online platform where someone has to sit and absorb all of that. You don't want to give it to piecemeal. You want to tell the whole story, which is something that we haven't done in those face-to-face events because we realise everyone's at a different educational level and we've created that environment where if they're, oh, I don't know what that means, they can find a TA, they can find a trainer and say, well, how does this work? And you can fill that gap in in person on a case-by-case basis. Whereas with an online event, you don't have that opportunity. You have to make sure the full story is being told for everyone at everyone's level. What opportunities do you see moving online, creating a digital space for Indigenous people and training? Well, I think the stuff we covered is pretty, is pretty good. It's like deepening of our curriculum was one positive that we, we got out of moving stuff online. Remote travel. Remote travel yeah. is very expensive. So our exposure in an online platform exceeds what we could in our face-to-face event um, with people having to gain funding or sell fund to get to the event. Or us so raise the funding for them to come Yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, providing the workshop, those spr- workshop only had this limit of two per organisation and now we feel like with the online space people can have as many people trained as, as they want from really the like comfort and the support of their communities and their organisations as well. So we're hoping that organisations like Rangers, for instance, some of their coordinators might take on a role of training more people inside their, their organisation and do a group learning style uh, with, our, with our materials. I mean, we think that there'll be a mix as well of the types of ways that people access this material we think there'll be more individual learners just moving through the course material and then hopefully there's a mix of that group learning experience as well. I think in terms of other opportunities that moving digital um, presents to Winyama and to Indigenous Mapping Workshop um, particularly this year as well is that having that online learning platform and being able to take people through these short stints of um, learning throughout the different courses it means that you have this sort of um, assessment element to things that we couldn't really replicate at the workshop because it's such a quick event, you know, three days and one after the other and people are moving around the place. I think down the track, what it means is that 
eventually we could be in a position where, you know, our training is micro-credentialed, which, you know, because you've got that record of how people are learning and, you know, they can log in and see how they're tracking, we can see their progress. I mean, I think that the dream would be for all three of us working on this is that we would love for people to have, you know, some kind of tertiary recognised qualification. So this is like the first step, the, the stepping stone to getting us to that point because we've got all the data, we've got all the progress um, captured in one place. So that's that's a pretty exciting thing about moving online as well. And like Andrew said, the ability for more people to take part. You know, one of the things that we realised as we were, you know, going through the application process for the face-to-face event for IMW was that, you know, lack of funding really prevented people from being able to hit and reach their mapping goals. However, with the, the event, we were never really had the capacity to have like a massive conference style. And I don't really think that was the vibe we were going for. We really did want to keep it grassroots. So we did try to keep it at a very, oh, I mean, I say small, we had about 100 people in Perth attend. But it was still intimate enough that we could achieve those things that Marinda said, like that the TAs being able to speak to people, offer a little bit of support here and there. You know, we had that limit holding us back a bit. But now with a mixture of both face-to-face, because we do want to keep doing that, and online, it just means anyone that's Indigenous that really thinks that they can use mapping to um, document their their culture or their heritage or to use on country, um, this is your opportunity now to, to get that training and not need to leave the comfort of your community. That leads nicely into my next question. I was going to ask, are you thinking of running a face-to-face event in conjunction with the online learning? So one of the major things that came out of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop last year was networking. How do you see communities keeping in contact? Where do you see face-to-face fitting in in the future? I think it's essential that we keep a face-to-face workshop. I think um, the energy and the networking and just the experience that you get from the IMWs, like we're not unable to replicate that in an online space. And we're not really trying to replace that. Like we said, like COVID made us pivot to this online space, but it wasn't to replace our workshops. It was just to fill this um, this gap where we couldn't get people to, to, to travel, basically, they're always going to complement one another. And like we said before, like it was what we were always going to do. We were always going to have some sort of online component to our to our um, training materials. But this has just allowed us to you know, move that forward. But yeah, I think um, I think the face to face, the benefit of the face to face is really that exchange of ideas, and that's the thing that yeah we don't want to lose sight of, like that the idea that this sector, like the indigenous mapping sector, which is really broad. Uh, you know, it has lots of different organisations within it that are working in mapping and we want those organisations to remain networked and see themselves as, as a group that could exchange information and knowledge and mapping skills, mapping techniques. Yeah, we can't, we can't do that online, so, so our face-to-faces are, are vital. I think there's probably a lot of attendees that have, have come to our events in, in Sydney and in Perth and were wanting to come along to Melbourne who are probably naturally saying, you know, well, I can do it online, why would I go to a face-to-face event? And to those people, I would say, like, exactly what Andrew was saying, that that opportunity for you to network, it was one of the big things, I think, that came out of IMW in Perth was that when we were assessing people at the end of it in terms of how they felt, like, we wanted people's feedback. So we did that in person, which was really valuable. All of them said the ability to be able to speak to somebody from the opposite side of the country about what they're doing with GIS and mapping 
and what I'm doing, even though we're in different landscapes and we're using mapping in different ways, like we share the same problems and we were able to talk about that and share ideas about how to solve them. So you should definitely consider still coming to the face-to-face event when we have one for that reason. I think number two, I think you should expect to see more thought leadership um, and knowledge sharing from technology partners and from your peers. I mean, the lightning round presentations were, again, a really well-received part of the face-to-face event. We will be trying to replicate that for the IMW on demand, but we do want to keep doing that in the face-to-face forum, giving people an opportunity to be like, hey, this is my project, this is what I did. The scholarships will still be available, but I think it will be a really good opportunity for us to look at who's performing well on the online learning platform to invite them to come along to the face-to-face events so they can start to learn about new technologies that we maybe don't have a curriculum yet for. Um, So something like earth observations and, and satellite imagery that's really not something we, we really hone into at the moment, but something that would be a huge benefit in the toolkit for Indigenous people that are using GIS or, or mapping at the moment. The face-to-face events is a great opportunity for, for us to get some industry leaders in that space to get up and talk about, hey, like this is what this technology is. This is you know new stuff for you to think about and 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 this is how you can use it and then depending on you know the feedback we receive, you know that maybe that's something that we can develop into an online learning. But sometimes, and Marinda, you probably can attest to this, is there's sometimes there's just things that you can't teach online. A lot of what we do teach can be taught online and maybe you want to talk about some of the the courses that you're putting together for the launch on the 22nd. But, you know, there are technologies that, you know, really do require you to be there in person, like like where you need to do field capture, like ODK or drone mapping, for example. Like we can teach post-production online, but in terms of like going out and, and showing people how to use those drones and, and what to think about when they're doing it, it's better done in person. So there is a case for us to keep doing both and we really hope the people doing IMW On Demand try best and come along to the um, event and, and tell us what you've been up to. We love hearing the stories of all of our attendees and what they're doing. Yes, um, from the curriculum point of view uh, with the online event, it was bringing... Uh, those aspects into it so I guess when we're putting the curriculum together the main thing is we know from our face-to-face events that the participants love to see the process laid out in front of them someone click through and and show them how it's done on the big screen so a major part of creating the curriculum is not only having the text that shows someone through uh, but also tutorial style videos so that our participants can see it being done while being instructed through through the process so bringing those kind of aspects into the learning platform um, and understanding that everyone learns differently, whether that's by doing or seeing and making sure that we're covering everyone's learning capabilities because we don't have that benefit of being there to say, oh, well, you're this kind of learner. Here, I'll show you. Or if we explain it to you this way, is that is that, you know, make a little bit more sense. So without those benefits, we really have to be cautious of making sure we explain things in, in several different ways. Got to make sure there's steps that lead one to the next as, as opposed to on face-to-face workshops where you just you can skip over a little bit because someone just catches up or they're, just, you know, they, they're able just to skip a couple of steps and still achieve the, the outcome that you're looking for. But you can't do that in an online learning management system. You've got to go through steps. You've got to have specific styles of setting up the curriculum. And we do understand that 
some people will already have this knowledge um, and that leads into our micro-credentials. We don't know that our participants have this knowledge. So seeing them being able to go through that uh, content online, we know that they're grasping it or, or they've already had that, that knowledge. One thing I was going to add as well to what Andrew was saying was that this step-by-step step and being really granular and like click here, go here, this is what you select on the menu, that kind of step-by-step is going to be so, so helpful to the people who maybe don't feel so confident on a computer. The people that who came to face-to-face workshop and I, I know I spoke to a lot of people and, you know, as much as we always tell people, look, it doesn't matter what your digital literacy skills are if you've never used an email before or anything like that. Like we welcome everyone from every background but, you know, I always felt like I had people apologising and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't really know what to do here. Well, online learning will be great because it's self-paced and it means that those little steps that we were going through in the face-to-face workshop, like, they're all written down for you so you can always just go back in and and check them out and uh, there's no way that you're going to miss any information. What has the strategy looked like from moving from a face-to-face event to an online event? So you've talked about the user journey so clicking through what other considerations have you had to make way for I'll go first maybe on that and then you can go because I know we've both had really all three of us have had very different experiences because we're tackling this in a very different way Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is like Marinda was just saying recognizing that it's not like an online event where you just put together a slide deck and somebody gets up and makes a presentation that's all over like you're not doing that. You're actually like you have to take training materials and you have to do the slide decks, but then you've got to like write it all out. And so from a marketing and communications and, you know, event management and all the different hats that we have for IMW perspective, the first thing that was going through my head was that, okay, COVID happens. I'm sitting there going, what are we going to do? Um, the first thing that I thought about in terms of what the priorities were from from my point of view was how do we capture the training material and how much time is it going to take us? Like, we didn't know. You know, when you deliver something in person, you've got everyone there in front of you, so you can just get up and run a training session. But I guess in the online learning environment, you don't get the added advantage of having the trainer talking to you the entire time. So the first thing I was thinking about was how do we document a training course from start to finish if somebody was learning it online, which involves a lot of writing and course content, which you can talk about, Marinda, because that's your thing. Um, The second thing was, are we going to do an event? Are we going to try and run IMW as a live event and, like, everybody logs in for three days in a row and and we have these live kind of feed of the trainers doing that? That was a consideration that Andrew and I had. There are platforms online as well, like On24, that allow you to do that. Then we're like, hmm, that's going to be stressful. Like, I thought, man, if – I mean, something we had to think about was that in remote communities where a lot of our attendees reside, they don't really a lot of the time have the best internet connection. That's not saying all of them don't because they're in, you know, rural communities, but there are a great deal that probably will, or they can't get access to a computer without going to like a library, for example, or being in the office and having reserved a computer. So if they can't do that for... three days in a row, then how do we make sure that they are getting access to training? So at that point, we're like, okay, maybe, you know, this plan that we had for two years from now, which was to have an online learning resource, maybe it's it's not an online event, but maybe it's a constant thing. And then it kind of flowed into this, we launched this thing and at any point in time, 
an Aboriginal person can log in or they have to apply, of course, like the application process still exists because it is training built for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or people working directly with those communities. So it's not like a free for all, you know, not everybody can come along. So you still need to apply, but we wanted to make it so that if somebody logged in in December and heard about IMW in December and went on the website that they're like, oh man, I don't have to wait six months for an event to take place. I can do this right now. So then it just evolved into this LMS and and then we had to go through all those technologies. I think the strategy for me, like the approach was really that we already had our slide material up on our website, the IMW website in our resources page and looking at that, and seeing the slides in that format, I, I remember thinking like when we first did that, I was thinking, oh, it'd be great if those were a lot more in-depth and they showed videos of um, what we were doing and they were, I just always wanted those slides to be more than what they were. And I think obviously with the COVID outbreak, like we we got that chance. Like this, this was the chance that we had to like actually make those slides into something more than what they were. And I think the... You know, the debates about live events and self-direct learning, you know, were had. And then I think it lent itself at the time, you know, the moment and also just the desire that we already had to create those materials or to convert those slides that our trainers delivered at the workshops into, into courses. It was just a perfect moment. And so the strategy just like was, was just to, yeah, just to follow through with what we already um, we're planning, but um, just to do it quicker and and to to deliver that in a moment that was special. And um, we had our team. You know, we could have, in hindsight, like we could have faced that moment and gone, "Oh, what are we going to do?" Um, just get lost in the kind of you know the stress of the moment. But I think the idea of pivoting is what organisations like us really needed to do. Uh, digital organisations, organisations that are agile. Um, whose staff can work remotely, all of those things just fell into place for us. And yeah, and we're, our activity levels during the pandemic were, uh, were off the charts. Like we, <laughs> we all found that we were really productive and just with this new type of work that we could transform this, um, this digital asset that we had into something really special and have all these flow-on effects like the idea of micro-credentialing and speaking with uh, university partners about how we could start to credential these courses um, that was a really good realization as part of it so you know when you ask about the strategy the strategy just kind of fell onto us and yeah, we um, didn't really have a choice we was kind of like um, being like a massive wave coming towards you and you're like you know sink or swim really well th- that, that that's the part I think that I'm most proud of with our organization Winyama and the IMW is that we we took that on that we took it on. We could have we copped out. We could have said, yeah. no, we'll just have it next year and have a face-to-face event, but we didn't. Easy. We could have done that easily. And we did think that, you know, like, why don't we just postpone, just drop, you know, drop the tools and stress out about what was happening. Um, but no, we thought we'd persevere. And um, I think it's a credit to our team too that we just sort of all came to the table and thought, what could we do? And, you know, that this is the result that, we, that we've got, so... I think with the strategy as well comes like a lot of learning, like being forced into that sink or swim period. All of a sudden we're like putting together all these materials, but we're having to look at all these different types of technologies that we needed to use to facilitate this, that we would have, I mean, we never looked at them like open edX and using, you know, a partner like AppSembler, which is who are helping us put together all the content. 
But then from Miranda's point of view, it's like, you know, it's not just a matter of, like I said, standing up and giving the training. Like she has to understand how those technologies work. And yeah, so it is understanding those technologies, but also understanding the participants is the main thing in putting this all online. But I guess from my point of view, uh, I guess it would be the way the team kind of come together. So although it's stressful trying to think about how we do this, Open edX, I didn't have to think about any of that. Tim went away and did that and he's helped kind of like this is how it works. So I'm not having to really learn this online platform. It's just, you know, everyone's picking up the slack. Everyone's doing their little bit. And I think that's what's made it move along in the way it has. One more thing on strategy and then I'll we, you, you can take this back. <laughs> but one more thing on um, strategy is that something that was really important to um, all of us was the lightning rounds. So just making sure that there would be some kind of way that we could still have that incorporated into the online learning. So, you know, those lightning rounds that people would expect to have at the face-to-face event, we're still encouraging people to do that. Those mapping scholarships are still available. We really want people that have been doing mapping projects in their communities to, to come forward and apply for those because, A, we really want to see what you're doing because when we hear what people are doing um, with GIS in their communities, it really helps us think about how we teach. So the more we know about what you're doing and how you're using mapping, the better it is for us to make sure that you're getting the right kind of learning down the track. We're always evolving, always developing, always looking at our course content anyway. Um, And second of all, it probably just means that you could be in the running to, you know, get some funding towards that project um, and really make it happen in in a way that you wouldn't have been able to before. So the lightning rounds will be there, you know, they'll be incorporated into the content and we um, we want to make sure that, you know, there is that platform still available. I know that uh, we've still got a, a couple months until the Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia On Demand is officially launched. In terms of the spatial technologies and courses, what technologies can we keep an eye out for? So like last year, we'll be doing Google, Esri and QGIS and we're looking at Fulcrum again as our data collection course, but we're still still in the process of developing that one. We're also looking at uh, developing a course uh, around data management, uh, Deadly Data. Uh, this is a good course for the FIFA service stuff that our rangers do. So getting people um, thinking about how they're managing their data and the economy in that. So where they can do sampling for other industry partners or government and earn uh, income from that as a ranger group. That's Marinda's pride and joy, that one. <laughs> that was, that's actually a new one. That's not something we've offered before, which yeah. is pretty cool. That's, I guess, just an example of how we can keep adding content in, like, People shouldn't expect that every time they participate in Indigenous Mapping Workshop, whether it is online or it is face-to-face, that you're always just going to hear and see the same stuff. Like we're always thinking of ways that you can be using this training for other outcomes. So like what Marinda was just saying, like how can you be earning an income from knowing how to manage and you know keep your data together like that? Deadly data has really grown out of the idea that we – that we listen to our participants when they give us feedback about what they want to learn. And, um, and that was one of the things that came up was about data management. And we really wanted to uh, yeah, make good on that promise that we'd um, create courses which our participants uh, were demanding of us. So, um, so yeah, Deadly Data is really, it's like a very beginner course, but it's very much about good data management. 
and yeah, best practice data management um, for your organisation so that you can capitalise on the, the data you're collecting. It's a very expensive exercise to collect data and manage it, so you want to be making sure you get the best out of that. And, and also like managing to port it into different platforms if you needed to or across a field collector and into a visualisation platform like a Google Earth or a QGIS uh, platform. So, yeah, data isn't just something that you just create and it just magically tells you everything you need to. You really do need to think about the structuring of it and that's, I think, one of our, like, core courses that people really should do when they do IMW On Demand just to do those really foundational exercises which help set up for, for the other the courses that you can do as well. I think that's a really important point for the attendees that we have that have come for a couple of years or people that are using mapping a lot is that just because the courses in Google, in QGIS or in Esri ArcGIS, you might be good at one of them, for example, like you might be really awesome at Esri ArcGIS um, and you see that the course outline is sort of starts from the very beginning I wouldn't let that deter you from actually going in and doing that that course content from start to finish. Even if it is Google and you came to the event last year and maybe you had learnt it for the first time, it'll be great revision for you. So I would say go in, do that, do the revision. You have to do the courses from start to finish anyway. But for those more advanced users, do it for revision, but do it because at some stage or another, we are going to be able to to give you qualifications on that. And unless you go through and do those courses from start to finish, we have no way of quantifying um, your progress and how much you know. So even though it might be easy for some people, I'd say, you know, all of those training courses that are available that Marinda and Tim have worked really hard to put together for you, do them from start to finish, even if you know how to do all those little steps, because who knows, like this time next year, we could have had a university partnership and that will count for something. In terms of what you can actually access on the online platform, you've mentioned that people would go and do foundational courses, they would do some of the more advanced courses, but last year with the workshop there were different streams, so you couldn't attend everything over the course of the workshop. Are all of the courses going to be available online? Are there any limitations to what people can access once they've been accepted into the workshop? No, all, all courses will be available, but as like Sarah said, you'll uh, be required to start at the entry level of each course and uh, advanced courses will prerequisite on the introductory courses. So you will be required to go through the suite of course material, but you could swap technologies or pick up a data collection course. They'll all be available. Yeah, you might be like a really avid user of uh, QGIS, but you didn't get to attend because of the stream-like approach we took last year in Perth, you maybe didn't get to attend Google or Fulcrum, for example. This is the opportunity where you can, so everything will be available. And it isn't timetabled, there aren't those streams, so it means that you can do it and you can do it in a self-paced way. So I've noticed there's been a name drop, Tim, a couple of times throughout the podcast. We haven't actually had Tim involved in the Indigenous Mapping Workshop before and there are a couple new starters involved in the background working on the IMW. Can you tell me how the team has grown over the past 12 months? Yeah, we've since last year, the Perth workshop was like, like a fantastic kind of milestone for us because it really, we really began to think about how we could continue to run IMW nationwide and you know, expand into these new areas as well. And so we had to create a larger team as well. So we went out to find um, more staff members and 
gladly found uh, Tim, who's a young IT uh, graduate, and Taylor, who's our marketing and events assistant. And even Marinda was was only just just started with us, like just before the IMW. Oh, I feel like you, I I like, always forget that. Like I feel like you've just been part of this team. It was like a week, <laughs> forever. A week, <laughs> a week before IMW, week before I was. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, I was yeah. an attendee at first yeah. um, and then I got the job and then I was able to you know why participate. I don't, like, I just feel like you've been part of the team forever is because at the workshop you just, like, jumped in and started teaching people like you'd always been there. So for me it feels like you've been with us for the whole two years. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. kudos yeah. to you guys because within a week I felt comfortable and the vision and the aim of what, what it's all about, I bought into straight away. So I was happy to, to be involved and, and to get in there and, and help people in this space. Yeah, I think we've also picked up volunteers as well. Nat from the CSIRO has given us a day a week for the last few months, which has been fantastic. We really, yeah, we really did need to take on some more staff to continue the IMW's good work. Who should apply for the IMW On Demand? Ah, uh, look, we want the same people that came to our workshops um, over the past few years. We want the Indigenous ranger groups who are working out there in remote and regional areas, language centres, uh, cultural centres, people from prescribed body corporates and native title organisations. Uh, they're the ones we know are using mapping technologies and they're the ones we want to upskill and continue to impart knowledge around mapping and techniques. And if people are interested in applying for the IMW, where should they go? Are there any resources online or uh, where should they visit to actually apply? So they need to go to www.imwaustralia.com. On that um, homepage there, you have two options. So basically it just says to you, how do you want to learn? How do you want to get your mapping training? And there'll be two options. It'll be, I want to learn online or I want to learn um, in person. Now, the in-person event, as we've all already discussed, you know, it's it's something that we're still going to have right now. It's a really uncertain still at the moment. So we will be having a face-to-face event. It likely will be in 2021. But on the page for that on the website, there is an expression of interest form. So if you want to come to a face-to-face event, do go there to fill out that form and that way we can notify you when we do have a date. And then if you want to learn online, it'll take you to a page where you can read all about um, Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia On Demand. Um, there isn't anywhere right now where you can go and sign in and have a little cruise around because it's not launched yet, but you will have to fill out an application form so that we can see a little bit about who you are, how you're using mapping, what you're interested in learning about. And then you'll get assigned a login on the 22nd of September by Tim and he will make sure that you can log in. And throughout that course as well, just a little side note is that you will have help and support throughout it. So you won't feel alone throughout that learning. And yeah, that's that's where people should go to learn more. I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you guys so much for joining uh, on this episode of Location Matters. For any Indigenous Mapping Workshop Australia announcements, check out their socials. So they'll be They'll be keeping everyone up to date on the latest information and announcements there. We will put everything in the show notes though, so you don't have to go looking for it. If you would like to subscribe to Location Matters, you can do so on Spotify, Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology.
find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.